The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. I'd like for you to take your Bibles with me and go to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. You can remain seated as we read these passages. Uh, Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he said before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? They fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbles which are, are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, it's, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we have this morning. I pray that you would give me wisdom as I preach your word and that you would bless all that are here and and teach us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it take to succeed? I I thought about that this week. Uh, I've got a few words I jotted down when I thought about what it takes to be a success. What it takes to be a success in marriage, what it takes to be a success in school, what it takes to be a success in business, and whatever it may be. And what, what does it take to be a success in our spiritual life? Uh, I jotted down these words. You might want to write them down and, and think about them some. The first word I jotted down was attitude. It takes a good attitude. Uh, we, got, we have to have a good attitude. I tell my employees that all the time. A good attitude solves a, a, a world of problems. And if we have the right attitude, everything else falls into place. What else does it take? Not only does it take a good attitude, but number two, it takes priorities. We have to have priorities. Some things in life have to take more importance than others. What else does it take? Well, number three, it takes expectations. You know, there's no saying, aim at nothing and you'll hit it. We have to have expectations. Where do, you, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? Where do I want to be in my school, my academics? Where do I want to be on my job? We have to have expectations. And then, fourthly, I jotted down the word commitment. We have to have commitment. I tell sometimes young people, young married couples will come and talk to me, and, and I'll say, you know, the biggest thing you need is commitment. You need commitment. Just just commit to your marriage. Decide 
My wife and I decided many years ago that we would never even talk about divorce. There's no separating. There's no, there's no leaving each other. That's it. We're in it for the long haul. Now, I, I have to tell you, with as much humility as I can, I've sacrificed more than she has. <laughs> I find that my desires are often cast aside. The title of my message this morning is taken from the sixth verse of the fourth chapter, in which Nehemiah said, for the people had a mind to work. They faced poverty. They faced affliction, persecution, reproach, discouragement. Yet despite all of this, it could still be said of them that they had a mind to work. They had not abandoned hope. They did not give up. They bought into the task at hand. They committed to the cause. This morning, as you and I stand here all about us, we can see the deplorable condition of our once great nation. We see much deprivation in the fabric of our society. We see a lot of tolerance today, don't we? We see a lot of tolerance for, for different cultures and, and for different lifestyles. But we don't see much tolerance for biblical principles or biblical morals. But I, I have to ask the question. Can the same be said of you and me today? Are we a community here of believers that have a mind to work? This morning I would ask each of us to stop and consider this question. Not about the person next to you or not about a person across the sanctuary from you. But the person that is you. I want you, to, I want you to focus on you today. Do you have a mind to work? There is so much work, spiritually speaking. So much work that must be done in this place today. And if we will accomplish the monumental task that we have before us of rebuilding the walls of our faith, we will need to follow the example left by those who have gone before us. So at the time I have today, I'd like to consider this event in in biblical history. So first this morning, I would like for us to see Number one on your, on your study sheet, on your answer sheet, there was despair over the desolation. There was despair over the desolation. Back up with me just a few pages to Nehemiah chapter one, please. Nehemiah chapter one. And let's look at verse number three. Verse number three, and they said unto me, me being Nehemiah here, some, some, some people had come back from Jerusalem 
and was reporting to Nehemiah. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah wept. The scripture says he mourned for many days. And I'm sure, as was the custom of the Jews, that he wore sackcloth and and he lay in the dust and the ashes. And he wept in sorrow and in humiliation. Nehemiah was brokenhearted over the things he heard about his beloved city, Jerusalem. The sorrow, the, the shame, the reproach upon the name of the Lord. This was too painful for Nehemiah to bear. It was a burden too heavy for his heart to carry. But what about the desolation in our world today? All of you in this room who are 50 years of age or older, we see a much different America, don't we? I mean, really, you young people, you came into it already pretty well decayed. But those of us with the hoary heads, you know, sometimes I almost weep when I see the American flag desecrated, when I see entitled young men and who, who, who kneel down during the Pledge of Allegiance, who dishonor the lives of the, of the hundreds of thousands of men and women who gave their life so that flag can fly free. Find another way to make your political statement. Do not desecrate that great flag. It's so painful, isn't it? Do we, do I, despair despair over this as Nehemiah did? I'm I'm, I'm afraid we don't. I'm afraid we we don't take it the way Nehemiah took the news of Jerusalem. You see, I'm afraid that in most cases we've just become so callous that we just dismiss it. Oh, well, I'll, I'll change the channel. I'll watch something else. I won't look at it so I don't have to feel bad about it. And, and we, as, as a nation of believers, have become complacent. We've become apathetic. Huh? The old saying, I don't know and I don't care. That's what we've become in America. Do we mourn today? Do we mourn over, first on your answer sheets, letter A, the abandonment of God's word? Do we weep today because of the rejection of God's word, the abandonment of God's word in our society? 
The word of God has been banned from our legislative and judicial systems. It has been banned from the government schools. Prayer is no longer welcome in our classrooms and our courtrooms. Biblical principle has been replaced with secular humanist philosophies. You know, I... I, I strive to be a very honest man, so I, I don't go to I don't go to courts very often. I've never I've never sat through a trial ever. I've never in my life sat through a trial. I don't even know. Do they still use the Bible to swear people in anymore? Do, does anybody know? I, I don't even know if they do. I've tried to get on a few juries, but they keep kicking me off. They don't want me on there. One one attorney one day said, "Do you believe in?" And uh, the death penalty, I said, I most certainly do. Your Honor, we move to dismiss this juror. When I was the principal of our school, one of them one day said, what is your employment? I said, well, I'm the principal at a, at a, a, a Bible Baptist school. Your Honor, we move to dismiss this individual. They don't want it. And you know, Romans chapter 1, Paul said, professing themselves to be wise... They became fools. You know, I'm amazed at times how ignorant these, these men, highly educated men are. In Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 9, Jeremiah writes, The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? Far too many Christians today are mesmerized by these men. Just because a man has acronyms, such as BA or BS, MBA, PhD, just because they have those acronyms after their name does not mean they possess spiritual wisdom. By the way, many of the men running around in our religious circles with a PhD aren't very smart either. Hey, look, the fundamental Baptist movement was handing them out like it was popcorn. I'm serious. They approached me once, wanted to, get, wanted to know if I wanted to get a doctorate. I said, a doctorate? Are you crazy? They don't mean anything anymore because they're giving them to everybody. Remember what we just read from Jerusalem. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo. They have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. Oh, yes. Even among many of those that proclaim to be believers, even among these, we see an abandonment of God's word and doctrine. But not only is there an abandonment of God's word. Today, letter B, do we mourn over the abomination of the world? This morning I was, I was going to the, walking to my shower and I just was thinking about this message. And I started thinking about my poor grandchildren. What kind of world are they going to grow up in? Do you ever stop to think about that? Hmm? Our grandchildren are going to, are going to, if they want to be a Christian, they're going to suffer. 
And it's, as I preached last week, it's our fault. I have to blame myself. It's our fault. In Psalm 14 and verse 1, we read, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The world we have today, homosexuality, pornography, incest, fornication, abortions, drunkenness, murder. And folks, these are all flowing through our homes on public television. All of these abominable works occurring all about us every day, yet the vast majority of Christians are either oblivious of it or they have become tolerant and receptive of it. I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Keep a marker in Nehemiah so you don't lose it. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. And look at verse 23. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 23. All right, let's back up to 22. I, I, I read 22 a moment ago, but look at, let's, let's look at it again. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up uh, to a uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change uh, the natural use of into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one to, toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, uh, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covetous, Covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I just read an analogy of America. Do you realize that? Or are we like a bunch of ostriches hiding our heads in the sand, pretending it's not happening, pretending it's not there? Folks, it's going to get to be rough from here on out. It's going to be rough for believers from here on out. You better, you better, you better buckle the seat, your seatbelt and get ready. Because it's not too many years from now that people like our pastor, a message like this will put me behind bars. 
It's coming. The day is coming. Uh, pretty soon we're gonna we're gonna have people running around not only saying black lives matter, but homosexual lives matter, and everything else that that, that they want to promote. I mourn for our children today. The desolation of our world is heartbreaking to any true child of God. The abandonment of God's word, the the abomination of this world. But then, letter C, these people, I I mourn today over the aversion of God's will. Over the aversion of God's will. I'll turn to, I'll turn to, uh, let's turn to Jeremiah, if if you will. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, I'll begin reading in verse 13. The aversion of God's will. And the Lord saith, because they have forsaken my law, which I said before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them, till I have consumed them. All around us this morning, we see people professing to be Christians. Yet, they turn from the truth. They turn from the will of God. And in doing this, they have corrupted their ways. They are disobedient. And even despise the law of God. Changing that law to say what they want it to say. Nehemiah wept over the condition of Jerusalem. He wept over the abandonment of God's word. He he wept over the abomination of the city. He wept over the aversion of God's will by his people. But then, secondly this morning, I would like for us to see that Nehemiah prayed for God's providence. Nehemiah prayed for God's providence. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. And we'll begin at verse 6. Now verses 1 through 5, Nehemiah heard of the, he heard of, of the condition of Jerusalem and he wept and he mourned many days. But now let's, let's look at verse number 6. Nehemiah here is is praying unto the Lord. He says, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commanded 
thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy, thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn to me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out among the uttermost part of the earth, of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of, of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, we've been taught in this church so much about the, this matter of prayer. Uh, I'm not going to belabor this here. However, I do want to draw attention to the content of Nehemiah's prayer. First letter A, first Nehemiah acknowledges the sin of Israel in verses 6 and 7. Confession is always necessary before we seek God's blessing. I love, I love in our church service that we read, we read the scripture and then we, we pray. And we approach the Lord in prayer. Before we preach his word, before, before we, we seek God's blessing, we come to the Lord in prayer and in confession. We confess our faults before God. We confess our sins. We, come, we, we desire to come with clean hands unto the Lord. Compare this to washing your hands before sitting down to a meal. Huh? Boy, my mama was, was death on this. I, I loved to play outside when I was a boy. And, and man, Louisiana is a muddy, dirty place. You know, your hands get full of mud, you know. Maybe sometimes I'd go fishing during the day and I'd, I'd dig up those worms and grab those slimy worms and put them in a can and go down and, and take those worms out and stick them on that hook and it's, the, the juices squirt out all over the place, all over your hands and your fingers. Huh? And then she'd call us in for lunch and I'd come running in with my hands. She'd say, you stop and wash those hands, boy. Got to have clean hands before you sit down to eat, right? James chapter 4 and verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, now, James isn't saying here, you can't pray until you washed your hands. What he's saying is cleanse your hands. Clean up your life. Clean up your actions. Purify your hearts. Get your mind right. Get your, get your life focused and centered on Christ. David understood this. In Psalm 51, David writes, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. So first, um, we... we Acknowledge the sin. We confess the sin. And, but then in, in Nehemiah's prayer, secondly, I'd like for us to notice letter B. Nehemiah affirms 
the expectations of the Lord. In verses 8 and 9. God does indeed have expectations for you and I. Expectations concerning our testimony. God expects that we will walk worthy as children of God. He has expectations surrounding our behavior. What did Paul say? Walk circumspectly. And that word circumspectly means carefully. It's, he uses it as a military uh, connotation, if you will, to, to, to as you move through the battlefield, be, be aware, be cautious of your surroundings. If you go, you don't go walking through a minefield just, just trudging along and, and whistling as you go. Because if you do, you're going to be whistling real loud in a little while. You have to be circumspect. You have to t- take a look at every step and, and, and determine is that step safe? Is it a good, is it a good place to go? We need to, we need to, to walk carefully, circumspectly. We need to live our lives and, and be careful about it. Expectations involving our fellowship in Christ. Be not unequally yoked together. Yeah, our, our fellowship in Christ. Not everyone that said, that claims to be a brother is. And not everyone that claims to be a brother is walking according to the will of God. And we need to be careful with that. God has expectations about that, that we be not unequally yoked together. Our blessing and or the cursings is not without expectations. Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses writes, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. Yes, God God offers a blessing, but there's also a curse. There's a curse when we do not walk the way that God expects us to walk. Some people equate this to God punishing you. You know, God doesn't punish anyone, none of his children. I mean, he doesn't punish us. God's laws are their own enforcers. And when, when we disobey God, he withholds, he withholds from us those blessings that would have come from obedience. And isn't that punishment enough? Isn't it punishment enough to, to know that we, we lost the blessings that God would have given us? God does expect that you and I will glorify his name. But then, thirdly, uh, letter C... In, in, in Nehemiah's prayer, Nehemiah evokes the promises of God. He calls up, he evokes, he calls up the promises of God in verses 10 and 11. Nehemiah took a page out of Moses' prayer to God. What did Moses do? Remember how Moses used to say, tell God, these are your people, God. They're not mine. Remember that? And Moses would go and pray and he'd say, Lord, these are your children. You promised them. You made those promises, God, not me. These aren't my people. A couple of times the Lord said, gather you to your people and I will consume them. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. these aren't my people, God. 
They're yours. Remember that? Noah reminded God that these were his people and that his promises were to the seed of Abraham. Now, this is not to say that God forgets us. But there are times when it is right for us to claim the promises that God has given us. This is what Nehemiah is doing here. However, take a warning here. You had better make sure you are meeting the expectations of God before you so boldly claim anything from the Lord. You better be careful there. Still, we are given by God the confidence to come boldly before him. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not arrogantly, not demanding, but with confidence. Knowing that God will hear us and that he will answer us. Everything we do must be bathed in prayer. But then notice, thirdly, I want you to notice in this story of Nehemiah, number three, the people were moved by Nehemiah's message. They were moved by Nehemiah's message. Now in chapter two, Nehemiah chapter two, uh, let's go to verse 12. Beginning in verse 12, we'll read through verse 18. We read here in verse 12, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up into the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers uh, knew not whether I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told, told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Verse 17, then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for their good work. For this good work. So far we, we've seen the despair over, over the desolation of Jerusalem. And, and we've seen the prayer for God's deliverance. Providence to deliver them. Now Nehemiah shares his vision. He shares his vision and his mission with these people. I think that most preachers would be envious of the response following Nehemiah's message. For all the people said, let us rise up and build. They were moved. Nehemiah's message brought them hope. It gave them a vision for what could be done. It provided them with God's plan to restore their blessed city. Now, let me get a little personal for just a few moments. 
I've learned that after 41 years of ministry, the majority of people who attend the preaching of God's words do not apply the messages to themselves. That's what I've observed in 41 years. In fact, it is almost as if they are trying to satisfy some duty by sitting here in the church. Think about it for a moment. Did you come to church today because you have to? You're supposed to? Or did you come today with your heart open like a sponge saying, Father, fill me with with your words. Teach me what you want me to know today. When I first got saved, I started attending preaching and ouch, man, did it hurt. It seemed like every message that preacher was preaching was all about me. I used to say, does he have a camera in my house? What's going on here? And then I started bringing my friends. And one time I thought, man, can they handle this? But then you know what? I said, the spirit of God will do it as he will. And I started just learning to trust. And and they would come and they would hear the preaching and, and they would get moved and stirred by the Holy Spirit of God, and they would get saved, and they would join the church, and they'd start, they'd start living for the Lord, and it, it's a joy. These people were moved by Nehemiah's message. He heard, they heard his message, and they said, let us all rise up. Let us get up and go. Let's go build that wall. <laughs> they were focused on what Nehemiah had to say. His message moved them. It stirred them into action. Now, I don't know, how long has Pastor Smith been pastor here? 19 years, something like that? Do you know how long, Mrs. Smith? Been a good bit, I know. I think it was 2002, so it's like 19 years. For the past 19 years, Pastor Smith has preached to us in our church. And I've I've sat back and watched some people moved by his messages. Some people stood up and say, count me in, Pastor, and get active and get involved. Others, others sometimes just walk out the door and never come back. Maybe God has, you know, maybe God has sent these present troubles we're going through. In our nation today, maybe maybe he's waiting to see how his people will respond to these things. People tend to be much more receptive to preaching when they're in distress. When they're having trouble and when they're having problems, they tend to, they tend to be a lot more receptive to preaching when they sit in the church. Don't forget the very lesson Israel repeatedly suffered. Captivity was due to their ignorance and their apathy toward God. They constantly kept falling back into slavery, didn't they? Kept falling out of God's grace and back into judgment. Don't be a foolish man. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Don't wait until desolation overtakes you before you listen to the message of God delivered through his preachers. This is how God speaks to us today, through preaching. 
Listen to the word of God. Listen to the preaching. Listen to the message. And, and, and allow yourself to, to take it in and, and react to that and be stirred into action. God's people were moved. And then number four. God's people faced their opposition with faith. God's people faced their opposition with faith. Now the reconstruction of the wall was met with much resistance. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19 we read, But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and, and Geshem the Arabian heard, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1, we read, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. In verse 3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. They mocked him. They said, If a fox runs on top of your wall, it's going to fall down. In verse 7 of Nehemiah chapter 4, But it came to pass... That when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. They faced a lot of opposition in, in reconstructing this wall. And let me state that the enemies of God today do not want to see us succeed in furthering the gospel in our community. They want to stop us in every way they can. They, they will use the same tactics that Sanballat and Tobiah used. They will mock you for believing in Jesus. They will hate you and despise you. They will treat you with great indignation. They will belittle the work that we do. They will even conspire to fight us and to hinder us. So what was the reaction of the people in the face of this opposition? Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4 again. And look at verse 16. Verse 16, And it came to pass from that time forth, that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the Habergeans, and the rulers were uh, behind all the house of Judah. They which build it on the wall, and they uh, that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had a sword girded by his side, and so built it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. So what do we do? What do we do if, if, if we find ourselves faced with a lot of opposition here as we try to do the work that God has called us to do? Well, we, uh, we labor. We get out there and we do the work. We, we witness to those around us. We, we teach our children and train them up in the way that they should go. And we, we labor in the church and we build a church. And in the other hand, we hold our sword. Amen? 
We stand in, by faith on the word of God. We do what we know is right to do, regardless of the opposition and regardless of what the outcome may be. I find a lot of scriptures to encourage me when I'm facing opposition. Romans 8.31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 1 John 4.4, 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Today, let us not be deterred by opposition. Let us go forward in faith, trusting the Lord for the result of our work. This is, by the way, this is God's work. Amen? We're doing, we're doing the will of God in this place. So let us not be worried about the opposition. For if, if Christ be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ who saved us. And then lastly, this morning, I want to say, number five, they achieved in the face of adversity. They achieved in the face of adversity. Nehemiah chapter four and verse six. So built we the wall and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof for the people had a mind to work. These people succeeded in building the wall. Why? Was it because they decided to build it? Was it because they had the knowledge or ability to build it? 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. That's what Paul said. But by the grace of God I am what I am. We need to remember that today folks. We need to remember that there is nothing I can do under the power of this flesh, but there is nothing I can't do by the grace of God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. When we do things the way that God has instructed us, when we pray and seek God's will, when we follow the word of God, we will succeed. Noah believed God's word, built the ark, and was saved. Abraham trusted God, left his home, went into a city built by God. Moses chose affliction rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin. Joshua and Caleb had faith in in God's word, possessed their inheritance. David loved the Lord, faced the lion, faced the bear, and faced Goliath and won. Solomon desired the wisdom of God above wealth, fame, or long life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to the idol. David obeyed the worst, I'm sorry, Daniel obeyed the word of God rather than the law of man. Now, it is important to remember that obeying the will of God may not always be pleasant or easy. Moses did suffer in the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua and Caleb did have to fight many battles. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into the lake of fire. Daniel did go into the den of lions. God's will may not always be pleasant, 
but it is always successful according to his purposes. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We will never know the joy of experiencing God's power and majesty unless we are willing to face the adversity. So what about us today? What about you and and me in this room today? When we consider our work, our task here. Now, Now you and I from this little bitty corner right here, we can't change the whole world. We can't do that. But we can change our little part of it, can't we? We can influence this community around us. We can, we can, we can affect our little world. So what about us? Are we broken hearted over the desolation of our nation? Or do we even care? Are we trusting the Lord for our providence? Or are we trusting and investing in our own resources? Are we attentive and receptive to the preaching of God's word? Or are we just fulfilling some duty by being here? Not not applying the message, just enduring the moment. Do we have the faith to face trials and tribulations today? Or do we just adapt and go with the flow? Do we have the courage to face adversity and obey the Lord? Or do we succumb to the world and its influences? Nehemiah wrote, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. This great victory in God's word started from one man with a broken heart. One man who accepted the responsibility. One man who who changed his life and shared his vision with those around him. And the people rose together and they worked and labored and they built the wall because they had a mind to work. What about us today? What about you and me here at, at Berean Baptist Church? I think the Lord still has a lot of things he wants to do here. A lot of great things. But you and I are going to have to have a mind to work. We're going to have to get up. We're going to have to rise up and say, let us build. We're going to have to do it together. Let's pray. Lord, nothing earth shattering here. Just just the story of one man, Nehemiah, who loved you and was heartbroken over the condition of his city. One man who assumed the 
the guilt, who took the responsibility and said, it's me, Lord, it's my fault. Myself and all of your people, we have sinned. And then took that confession and, and, and gained a vision for what should be done. And he knew it wasn't going to be easy. And he knew it was going to be challenging, but he accepted that challenge and he went. And he, he rallied your people together. And together they, they, they stood and they built, working, working the work with one hand and, and prepared to battle with the other. And the wall was built. And the city was restored. And Lord, we have a desire for that same work here today. In our, in our little corner of this, of this world. Strengthen us, Lord. Give us a vision. Each one of us, give us a vision for what can and should be done in this place. And Lord, we certainly, we certainly, as we tarry, we desire for your return. But Lord, as we tarry in this place, uh, let us work. Give us the strength to work and and the wisdom and the vision. And Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you for all of these things. Be with those who could not be here today. Bless them. And bless everyone who is here. Help us, Lord, today to rise together and accept the challenge and and to, to do the work. Give us a mind to work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.